I trust never to fail in my expression of gratitude to David, the choir, and to our musicians. Thank you. And as David has already indicated, it is well with my soul, and may that be so when we leave this room this morning, to be able to say, it is well with my soul. you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please, to the book of Malachi. This is a, the last book in the Old Testament. It is not one that uh, we hear messages on very often, but I have endeavored to begin uh, a series, a brief series, on the book of Malachi. And we are in the second chapter, the first section of that second chapter this morning. I will say to you, there are some strong words in this chapter. I trust that all of us will let God say what He wants to say because this is His Word, it is not ours. We are simply, if you will allow me to put it this way, we are God's messenger boys, those of us who are in the pulpit. We take God's Word from God's book and deliver it to God's people. And anytime, and I'll reiterate this, anytime a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a Bible teacher gets between you and God's Word in you, that ought to turn on a big yellow light to you. This is God's Word. It is God's truth. And we stand with that. Now, before I get into the text, before I have a word of prayer, there are some folks I uh, wanted to mention this morning as being present with us. And uh, I was in a hurry to get to Ben. Uh, So I didn't do that. Rochelle Powell isn't able to be here every Sunday, but she's on the second row back on my right, and she has a lovely lady with her who assists her, and we appreciate Rochelle and this kind lady that is always with her. Anytime I've been in the home, uh, she's been, uh, the lady has just been very gracious and, and, and really a help. So Rochelle, it is good to see you, and dear friend, we're glad to have you here too. And then up in the balcony, uh, Larry and... Loretta Cutler. Some months ago, uh, we sent them to Egypt as missionaries. <laughs> they really just went to Atlanta to move, but uh, that's far enough to be Egypt as far as we're concerned. Larry, Loretta, it's good to see you. They were in a, uh, a wedding uh, yesterday close by and just stopped here to worship with us on the way home. Both of them have been a significant part of Wake Chapel Church, and we're so a long time before they moved, and it is good to see you. Welcome. Again, please greet the folks around you. Whether you've known them for 30 years or whether this is the first time you've ever seen them. What a tragedy it would be for people to go to church and nobody ever say, it's good to see you. I hope you'll come again. If you have your Bible open with me, please, to the book of Malachi. We're looking at the nine verses of chapter, first, first nine verses, excuse me, first nine verses of chapter two this morning. Before we look into that, would you pray with me, please? Our Father, we are grateful for the Word of God. The psalmist said, Thy Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you. May God the Holy Spirit be our teacher. 
freeing us from the dependence upon a man or a woman to teach the word of God. May the Holy Spirit of God teach us the truth and then grant to us the enabling to live in light of what we have learned. We ask these blessings in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As we observe the life of Israel in the Old Testament, we discover that there were times when the people had good, godly, and faithful leaders whom they promptly rejected and turned aside, plunging headlong into sin. They had good leaders. They had faithful leaders. But rather than listening, they turned and went aside headlong. And that's not an an exaggeration. They turned headlong into sin in spite of the good leaders that they had. But we also discover that there were times when Israel's leadership was so perverse and crooked that the leadership turned the people of the nation aside into, onto a path that led away from the Lord God. Now, as we come to this little book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament, this morning it divides itself, the verses that we look at, these verses divide themselves into three very recognizable sections. The first four verses deal with the questionable future of the priests in the future. It is not for absolutely certain when Malachi writes it what kind of future it's going to be. And so I've couched this as a questionable future for Israel's priests. The second portion, verses 5, 6, and 7, is the past. And it was a glorious past. We will see Malachi referring to Uh, Levi and the sons of Levi and the priesthood. Uh, It was indeed a glorious past referred to in verses 5, 6, and 7. But it ends on rather a dismal note, to tell you the truth. For verses 8 and 9 of this section, look at the dismal present for the priests in Israel. Let's begin by looking at the questionable future. It is a future that God wants for them, but it is open to question. Chapter 2, verse 1, and it's a very brief verse, and now this commandment is for you, O priests. So be sure that we are clear that Malachi the prophet is talking to the priests of his day. That's important. He's speaking to the priests, uh, and he's giving them some choices, really, Uh, If you will look with me at this, in verse 2, 3, and 4, after speaking to the priest, saying, I'm addressing you, he says, I'm placing before you three things. Uh, If you do not honor my name, if you do not listen to my name, Three things will come to pass. Now, you can go through the, the prophets of the Old Testament and find other things that would come to pass if the, prophet, if the priests did not honor God and His Word. But these are three things that Malachi the prophet singles out and he addresses the priest and says these three things are going to happen if, and you'll notice verse 2, if you do not listen, if you do not take heart, 
to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. And then following that, there are those three things. But would you notice the first part of verse 2? If you do not listen. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed as I read through the Old Testament. And I suspect many of you are as well. You read through the Old Testament and the priests of God don't listen to them. They're his priests. He's put them in place. And don't listen to it. Do not listen. And if you do not take heart to honor my name. I wish I had a lot of time to draw applications from that. For I fear today that there are many in pulpits across America that do not listen to God's word and who do not honor him or his name. But again, we're speaking, Malachi was speaking to the priests in his day. Three things that will take place. Priests, if you do not listen, if you do not give honor to my name. Number one, I will curse your blessings. I will turn your blessings into curses. Now, how can that be? God just simply makes this statement. I will turn the blessings of the curses, the blessings of the priests into curses. Well, let me take an illustration from our day that will perhaps be of some help to us. Let's just suppose that someone has what I would refer to as the Midas touch. Everything they turn, everything they touch turns to money. Everything. Every business venture makes money. Every stock goes up when it's purchased. They have an ability to make money. I personally believe that's a God-given gift. I believe that's a God-given ability. Have you ever known anybody that just everything they touched turned to gold? But it becomes a curse when that individual, man or woman, becomes controlled by money. Money becomes God. Money and making of money comes first. It comes before anything. It comes before family. It comes before anything. Money and making money becomes God. It becomes the most important thing in life. And I believe when that happens, that blessing has become a curse. Blessings can become curses. And while that's true, I believe that God intended even more in this particular passage of Scripture. It seems to me, with a little bit of reflection on this passage of Scripture, what God is actually saying is, and remember now, He's talking to the priests. And He says, when you as a priest, and you know this benediction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you remember that benediction from out of the Old Testament? And I believe that God is telling these priests all the time when you are pronouncing what you think to be a benediction, it is not a benediction, it is a malediction. He he is turning their blessing into a curse. The priest stands and says, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And at the same time, God is saying, curse, 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 curse. 
I will curse your blessings. That's what he says. I will curse your blessings. He goes on in verse 2 and says, Indeed, I have already cursed them uh, because you are not taking heart. Remember, he said, if you don't listen to me, if you don't take heart, this is one of the things that's going to happen. Now he's saying, you didn't listen to me. You didn't take heart to my truth and to my word. Now there's a curse. There's a curse. There's a second thing that Malachi says, and it's a message from God to the priest. There's a second thing that he says in verse 3. Look at the first part of verse 3. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring. Now, uh, folks, uh, that is a difficult expression in the Hebrew text. Okay? It can mean at least two things. So we have to do our own study and we have to work on this and see what fits best in this particular context. I will rebuke your offspring. It could mean, just as it's rendered, just as it's translated here, God will put a curse on the children of the priests. That's a very straightforward understanding of the text, and that may well be what it means. There is another possibility of interpretation, however. It seems, I think, a tad more accurate. I believe this is a reference in the first part of this verse, to their crops. I will rebuke your offspring. Now, remember, he's talking to the priests. I will corrupt your seed, is what he's saying. And this is rendered in the old Schofield Bible, the way I'm giving it to you. I will corrupt your seed. Now, why would he do that? Is there a reason or is it just, we, do we want to play around with the translation of the text? Well, I'll assure you that we don't want to do that. But you remember that the people in Israel were taxed on their crops. The people in Israel paid a tithe on their crops. And when the children of Israel had a poor crop, who suffered? Well, they did, but the priests suffered also. Because they lived off of the tithe. They lived off of the tax in the Old Testament. And so when God put a curse uh, on their seed, when he said, I will corrupt your seed, he was putting his finger on the priests and on their income. So I'm a little bit inclined to the latter one. If you want to leave it just exactly the way it is in the text, you'll be fine. But I would have you to think about the other. There's a third way that the priests would suffer. If they did not listen to God and they did not honor his name. And this one is found in verse 3. And it's a rather startling thing to say. Behold, I am going to rebuke your offspring. And then he goes on. I will spread refuse on your faces and refuse on your feasts. And you will be taken away with it. One reason I think that he's talking about the seed in verse, the first part of verse 3 is the end of the verse. You will be taken away with it. 
Uh, and there's nothing said in the text of Malachi about their offspring being taken away. But there is something take, being taken away about their offerings, about their sacrifices, about their crops. He was going to use the crops to touch the priests because they didn't honor his name. Now, you recall that priests would butcher the animals that were brought for sacrifice. And they would, generally speaking, be identified with the part of the sacrifice that was offered on the altar. They would be identified with that. They prepared it. Uh, They put it on the altar, and they would be identified with that in the worship of Israel. But there were parts of the sacrifice that were not offered on the altar. One was the skin, one was the intestines, and the contents. Those things were carried outside the camp and burned. And in the city of Jerusalem, they were carried outside the city walls and burned. I'd like for us to see this in the Old Testament. I don't want you to think I'm just uh, thinking about this and coming up with it. Turn back to the book of Leviticus with me, for please, please, for just a moment. Leviticus chapter 29, verse 14. This is found several times in the Old Testament. I'm just going to take one, one passage this morning, okay? Leviticus 29, verse 14. Well, let me read verse 13, 14, okay? What did I say? I said Leviticus. That's one of the other passages. I want you to look at Exodus. I beg your pardon. I have four passages in my notes here this morning, and I looked at the wrong one. Pardon. Look at Exodus, chapter 29. Exodus, chapter 29. And I want to read verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails, and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is on them, and offer them up in smoke on the altar. That was the part that was offered on the altar. And the priests were normally identified with what was offered on the altar. And then there's a but that opens the next verse. But the flesh of the bull and its hide and its refuse you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. I believe God is saying here that the days when the priest would offer the sacrifices and then be offered with the part of the sacrifice, those days are done. You will no longer be identified with the sacrifice. You will be all uh, associated with, identified with, that which is taken outside the camp. And so he says... I'm going to rebuke your offspring. I will spread refuse on your faces. You're going to be identified with the refuse. You'll be taken away with it. So when the priests were identified in Israel, there came a day when they were no longer identified with the sweet-smelling sacrifices that were given on the altar. But because of their propensity not to listen to God, not to give honor to God, they were identified with that which was taken outside the walls, outside the gates. That's what they became identified with. What an unpleasant thing. But I would have to say this before I move on. Dear people, God is concerned about His Word. 
Okay? And if you don't understand the seriousness of how, uh, of how serious God is with his word, read that passage of scripture with the priests of the Old Testament. God wants those who stand in the pulpit for him in a Sunday school class, in a Bible class, wherever. God wants his people to stand for him and leave his word as he has given it. No redacting of the word of God. Thank you for what he says. God's serious about it, folks. We live in a world where folks are no longer very serious about the word of God anymore. One thing has not changed. And that is God's attitude toward his book. That has not changed. I may like it or I may not like it. And frankly, I don't know a Christian anywhere sometime or other that doesn't wish God say something a little differently. But it's not ours to change. He says to the priests in Israel, and I'll show you in a few moments where he says it about us, honor me, honor my name, honor my word. Now, if verse 3 sounds so abidingly harsh to us, I wouldn't quibble with you about that. But there is a note of God's sweet grace in verse 4. Then you will know what I have, you will know that I have sent this commandment to you. Why? Why did he send that commandment? The rest of verse 4 that my commandment might continue with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Dear people, please understand, please underscore, God is not after the damnation of the priests. He's after their discipline. He wants to bring them back. Do you see that? The end of verse 4, that my covenant. Why was God doing these three things? He wanted to bring them back to a place where they were honoring his word, where they were giving honor to his name. And he says, I'm doing this that my covenant might continue with Levi. Sometimes I, I believe that Christian people have hard things in life come along. I don't just believe that. I know that. I went through with deliberation this morning the prayer list that's in our bulletin. And there are others I did not mention that I know of. I don't know the particular circumstances of all of that. And I don't know why God's doing that. I do know at times. Now, please, I probably shouldn't have mentioned this about the, those on the prayer list because I don't want you to say, uh, the preacher said God was trying to discipline you. That's not it at all. That God's not trying to discipline I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that at times in a Christian's life, God does bring Discipline to his people. Why? Because of grace. It's not that he's after judging them. It's not that he takes delight in that. He wants to bring them back to himself. 
and to me, I can't help but throw this in, my children are reared and got what I think best grandchildren in the whole world. But anyway, that's another matter. Uh, <clears throat> one of the best arguments that I can think of for parents disciplining their children is that they want to bring them back to the right way. However you discipline, I'll not discuss that right now. I had a young man sitting in my office. To God be the glory, I'm going to baptize him next Sunday. And his dad was sitting there. And his dad said, uh, he and his younger brother fight like cats and dogs all the time. And I said, well, that isn't anything new, is it? Uh, and he said, no, but it requires some discipline. And it does. A father and a mother discipline their children because they want to bring them back to the right way. God is the example. He disciplines his priests and his people to bring them back to the right way. God is not mean. God is not unloving. He loves so much that he wants to bring us back. Are you with me on this? I'll have to move along quickly. Verses 5, 6, and 7 is the past for the priest. And God here is pleased, and Malachi here is pleased to, to raise the curtain, to draw back the curtain of history and look across the centuries of time at Levi, at the tribe of Levi. God chose Levi and made a special covenant with the tribe of Eli. Now, why did he do that? Well, there was a very interesting reason. Turn back with me once again, please, to the 32nd chapter of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Again, two verses, 25 and 26. Exodus. Second book in the Old Testament. Exodus 32, verses 25 and 26. Verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among the enemies. Now, verse 26. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And would you notice who came to him? Verse 26 says, And the sons of Levi gathered to him. All the chaos that was going on with pagan worship, with Aaron, Moses stood up and said, look at it again. Whoever is for the Lord, let him come to me. And who came? Levi. Levi. And God made a covenant with Levi, a contract, if you please, that that tribe would serve as priests. And in that contract with the tribe of Levi, two parties, two things going on. On the one hand, the children of Israel, the Levites, were to give God reverence. They were to revere God. His name, they were to honor Him. And God would give to them, on the other hand, life. 
and peace. The covenant was fulfilled in the early days. But by the time we come to Malachi, and actually by the time we come to Hosea, even before that, uh, it had gone by the boards. But we're still in 5, 6, and 7, where things are reflecting the glorious history of the tribe of Levi and the priests in Israel. What did the priests do? They studied the word of God. They lived by the word of God. They walked by the word of God. They taught not human views, but they taught God's principles and they taught God's precepts, and they did that consistently. No diminution. They taught all of it. In our study this morning, we are dealing with the priests in Israel. So far, we've looked at questionable future if they didn't do certain things. And then we've looked at the glorious past, particularly of the tribe of Levi. We look finally at the abysmal present of the priests. Verse 8 and verse 9. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. All those glorious things in verses 5, 6, and 7. The priests in Malachi's day had corrupted all of that, says the Lord of hosts. So I have made you despised and abased before all people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but you are showing partiality in the instruction. Verse 8, the priests in Malachi's day were doing three things. One, they had turned aside from God's way. Second, they had caused others to stumble over the law. And third, they had corrupted the covenant that God made with Levi. The priests in Malachi's day were guilty of malfeasance. They were guilty of official misconduct. And because of their sin, God was going to debase them and cause them to be corrupted. But let me point out one more thing in verse 9, which I think is one of the poorest representations of the church in the 20th century. I think they did it in Malachi's day. In fact, I know they did because that's what it says, last part of verse 9, showing partiality in the way of instruction. You know how that went. Perhaps someone who had a lot of this world's goods belonged to Israel. And they would do something out of bounds. Not in keeping with the law of Moses. And the priest wouldn't say anything to him about it. Someone else do the very same thing. The exact same thing. And the priest jumped down their throats. The priests were showing partiality. Either to a friend of theirs. Or to someone who 
had a lot of this world's goods, but then when somebody else did precisely the same thing, they didn't ignore it. They jumped down their throats. They were being partial to the people. To apply. It's just it's just hard for me, really, to think about a priest in the Old Testament, a minister, someone in the church today, somebody on the board of finance, maybe, a deacon, whatever, applying God's truth in a partial way. Yeah, you shouldn't do that, but it's okay if you do that. Well, what does all this have to do with us today in the 20th century? I think that's a reasonable question for any of us to ask. What does all this have to do? Pastor, we're talking about the priests of the Old Testament. We're talking way back in the book of Malachi, even before the New Testament. What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with us? Let me mention a couple of things and I'll be done. Number one, we need to watch our leaders. Okay? Watch our leaders. If they come between what God's Word says and you, that ought to turn on a yellow light and it ought to bring about some changes promptly. Watch your leaders. And I don't mean just in the pulpit. I mean in your Sunday school class. I mean in your Bible class. In your home prayer group, watch your leaders. What they say and what they do ought to come out of this book. And if it doesn't, sound the alarm. Sound the alarm. Second, God disciplines those in places of leadership for their failures. That's what he was doing in Malachi chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. He was disciplining those leaders for their failures. Now, I want to bring this home closer even to me and to you. I'll not ask you to turn there for time's sake, but let me read the verse for you. First Peter, the epistle of First Peter. Chapter 2 and verse 9, we read, speaking to Christian people. He's not speaking to Jewish priests now. He's speaking to Christian people. And Peter writes these words, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Peter, the apostle, says to the church, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that you should show forth the excellencies of his praise. He's called you out of the darkness into his light. Why should we proclaim or show forth the excellencies of his name? Or how? Let me ask the question, how? How should we show forth the excellencies of his praise? May I give you a very simple answer? There are other answers, but let me give you a very simple answer. A priest's lips should keep knowledge. 
that's stated in Hosea, but uh, it's also the truth of the New Testament. You are a believer priest. Peter says that. I am a believer priest. Not Jewish priest in the Old Testament, but a believer priest. And we ought to give honor to the name of Christ. And we ought to hold dearly and honor his word. May I say to you, I personally believe, and I don't think it's just because I'm a pastor, but I personally believe the Bible ought to be the most important book you have in your house. Final lesson is this. I want this to stay with you. The reason I mentioned it last. God is a God of love and a God of discipline. And I believe that those who make of God only a God of love do God a disservice and fail to understand God's word. I believe that God that people who make God a God of judgment. He's just waiting to damn your soul to hell. I believe that people who do that and never say anything about the love of God are equally dishonoring God. For the God of the Bible is a God of grace and love and mercy, but he's a God of discipline as well. Now, May I say this? The God of the Bible loves you. I don't know who everyone is in this congregation this morning. I certainly don't know everyone here personally. But I do know God well enough to know He loves you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. God loves you. But hear me well. If you go out into a Christless eternity... If you go out of, Christ, out of this life without trusting Jesus as your Savior, you will face God's judgment. That's as simple as I know how to make it. Therefore, I say to you, why don't you trust Jesus Christ today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Israel. Thank you for the example of Israel's priests. And help us to learn from them that we might be a people, a priesthood of Christian believers who show forth the excellencies of his praise by holding to God's word and by giving honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is not something, Lord, that we can do in our own strength. We need your enabling to help us. And that's what we ask today. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Service is over and the invitation is over. But God's invitation is still open. If you have been hindered by someone around you gathering up a coat or a Bible or hymn books, or if you have been hindered by just a, a 
something in your mind not letting you do this yet, you can do it when you get home. You can trust Jesus when you get home. Just ask Him to come and be your Savior. He's never turned anybody down yet. You remember that. He has never turned anybody down yet. Him that cometh unto me, I will in some wise cast out. Right? Uh Uh-uh. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you haven't done business with the Lord, you can do it at home. I commend you to do that. We're going to have our benediction here just in a moment, and then we're going to sing God be with you till we meet again. Alan, would you come, please? Um, There are guests with us this morning. All right? We've got several back here on my right. We've got a couple over here on my left. Dear saints at Wake Chapel, please go out of your way to greet these dear people. They've gone out of their way to come to Wake Chapel Church this morning. We appreciate that. We thank them for that. Those of you who are our guests, uh, on my left, when you go out, one of our deacons or one of our ushers will be there to hand you a little gift bag. It's not anything tremendous, but just something to remember us by and something to say, we're glad that you're here today. If there is anyone in this room who does not have a Bible and wants one. There's a basket on my left out here. They're gratis. Please, you'll do us a service and an honor. If you don't have one, if you'd like to, you take one. Alan, pray for us, please. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, King of glory, we're so thankful to be here today praising your holy name and uh, lifting up Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Father, thank you, Lord, for, uh, for all you do in our lives. We pray today for uh, those that are sick that are on the list in the church bulletin. We pray that uh, uh, all will be well to your glory. And, Father, we pray also for the mission of the week, uh, CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, and we're so, so thankful for that mission, uh, reaching out to all the boys and girls, uh, praising your holy name throughout every land. Thank you, Father, for all your missions. We just love you and thank you. Father, we, uh, we just ask that you be with our church family. Help us, Lord, to grow in spirit and love. And, Father, we don't, uh, we don't need any glitz, glamour, or gold. We just want the joy of our Lord and Savior. And praising you always. Be with us and guide us. And Lord, we love you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.